Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. We start doing door-to-door evangelism. So for us, what that means is we go house to house and we just ask people uh, if they want to talk for a minute and share with them. We've come all the way from America to Haiti to let them know God loves them and Jesus is the answer. That's basically, so we, then we have team members share their two-minute testimony of who they were before they met Christ, how they met Christ, and who they are now because of Christ. And so we, the very first house we stop at, these guys, younger guys, you know, 20s to, to 40s, were sitting out drinking alcohol and playing cards at 9.30 in the morning. And so we walk up and we start sharing the story. We ask, can we talk? And, oh, yeah, we can talk. And, and then we pray for this one man who only has one leg, pray for healing for him. But then also Toya worked really hard to get crutches for him because we want to give him hope for tomorrow through prayer and help for today through the crutches. But there's this one individual who's very antagonistic. Everything we said, he would try to contradict it. And he kept on and on and on. So we left that house, go to the next stop, and that guy follows us to the next place. And again, he's being antagonistic. He's, oh, you know, God doesn't do this and God isn't that. He's just being a jerk. And for four or five stops, he follows us. And so I know that if someone is trying to stop the influence of the gospel, that's usually a demonic attack. So this guy's trying to stop the proclamation of the gospel. We just came all the way from Alabama to Haiti to share this message, and he's trying to stop it. So we start walking back to the church for a break, and he's walking with us, like back towards the church, and I stopped him. And the rest of the team was going forward, so it was just me and him. And I said, what is your problem? He was like, what do you mean? What's my? I said, what is your problem? We're here trying to help you and help your city and your village. We're trying to love on you and give hope. What is your problem? He says, well, the church doesn't do what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to do this. They're supposed to take care of people. They're supposed to help do this. They're supposed, and they don't do that. And so what he's referring to was the Catholic church in town wasn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. He said he's read the Bible. And he heard what the, Bible, what the church is supposed to but they're not doing it. And I said, well, here's the problem with your, your response. Is I just came all the way from Alabama to Haiti to do what the church is supposed to do. We are doing what you're saying the church isn't supposed to do. So your, your argument to me is invalid because we are modeling what you just said the church isn't doing. So we go back into the church and there's kids there. They've come from all the neighborhood and we're playing the slap game. So you know what the slap game is? You hold your hands up. Other person has their hands down. You just try to slap their hands. So I'm slapping the daylights out of little Haitian kids. I mean, they're putting their hands up, just slapping them. And we're just slapping back and forth. And the dude who's been following us, the antagonistic drunk guy, is sitting there with a huge smile on his face. Now, I don't know if it's the alcohol or he just likes watching kids have fun, but he's got a huge smile on his face. And we're stopped. So I stop and other kids are playing. I sit down next to him. I said, man, this is pretty cool, isn't it? He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, man, these kids are having a blast. I said, you know the problem with this? is that we've come all the way from America to do this when this is your job. These are your kids. This is your neighborhood. You should be the one inspiring hope. You should be the one pouring into them and giving them direction. This is your job. And since you and your church and what you're not, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, we've had to come to bring hope to hopelessness. See, the church is the hope of the world as long as the church is functioning like the church. 
When the church starts functioning like a social club, when the church starts functioning like an organization, when the church starts functioning like a business, it's no longer the hope of the world. But when it is, it is the greatest instrument of hope the world has ever seen. And it has been since the beginning. In the New Testament, when the church being persecuted, they would still go down the streets and pick up babies that the Romans were throwing out because they, they were not the gender they wanted. And that's where adoption and foster care came into play because of the church. Hospitals started because of the church. You trace down every great social justice mechanism and you can trace it back down to the church. When the church is functioning correctly, it is the hope of the world. If you would stand to your feet as we read 2 Kings together. We'll give you some context. 2 Kings, Elisha, you have two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. I wish they could have picked two, like Tom and Jerry or something that would have been easier to differentiate. But he's Elijah with a J and Elisha. Elijah was the greatest prophet Israel had seen until he went up into heaven in a fiery chariot. Elisha was kind of his, men, his mentee. Elijah mentored him. He was kind of his apprentice on the job training. And when Elijah goes up into heaven, Elisha picks up the mantle of Elijah. He asked for a double portion, and if you research it, he actually did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. So God gave him a double portion of the anointing. And in this story, this is the very first miracle that he operates in and performs. And we'll start in verse 19. It says, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring to me a new bowl. Everybody say new bowl. Bring to me a new bowl and then put salt in it. Say salt. So they brought it to him. Then they went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. Father, we thank you that your church still is the hope of the world. And we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your spirit is alive. And we thank you that, Father, you've called us to be a people that heal the waters of our city. I pray that you unite us together today. You challenge us to be the salt in the vessel that we can pour our lives into the waters of this city and see it renewed and see it blessed by you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. What's ironic about this story is it's in Jericho. So Jericho was the city that when Joshua and the Israelites marched over the Jordan River, it was the very first city they came against, and they marched around the, the city of Jericho seven times, and on the seventh day, they walked seven times, and it fell down. The walls fell down, and it took over the city, and God pronounced a curse over the city of Jericho. He said, no one shall ever rebuild you again, and if they do, it'll be barren, it'll be lifeless. Somebody between that time and Elisha's time had rebuilt the city of Jericho, and now they're saying there's a curse on this city. They're saying it looks pleasant but the water is bad, it's bitter, it's lifeless. And so God uses the story of Elisha to demonstrate that God can redeem a curse into a blessing. God can redeem death into life. God can take what used to be bad and make it good again. That is the power of the gospel in this story. And Elisha shows up, he gets together, he says, I need some salt, but I also need a new bowl and we're gonna heal this water. And in doing so, I think it illustrates to us that each of us, can make a difference. Each of us have the ability to make a difference, but together we can make an impact. Each of us are called to make a difference, but together we can make an impact. Elisha didn't use a little bit of salt to sprinkle it. He got all the salt together in a vessel, then focused that vessel in one particular area to make an impact and what he's trying to make an impact. You and I in our everyday lives are called to make a difference. 
but as a church, we come together, focus our abilities and our passions, focus our desires, focus our resources, bring them together so we can make a visible, tangible impact in our city. That is the calling of the church. One definition of the church is this, we the church are the called out ones. Meaning we're called out of the world. We're called out of the world. We're called into community and we're called for God's mission. We're called out of the world. We're called into community or the church and called for a particular mission. That is the purpose of the church. That is where Jesus meant. That's what every apostle meant. It wasn't a building. It wasn't a social club. It wasn't an organization. The church were these people that were called out of the world and then called into a community together for the purpose of making an impact and advancing God's kingdom. If you wanna think about the first time Jesus used the word church, just think through your mind, when was the first time Jesus used the word church? The first time he used the word church was when he was sitting with the disciples and he asked them, who do people say the son of man is? The disciples said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, He said, okay, that's cool, but who do you say that I am? Not what others say, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And here's what Jesus said. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Meaning, you didn't hear this from somebody else. You didn't get this from Google or Wikipedia. You didn't get it offline. Flesh and blood did not reveal this, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the first time Jesus ever mentions the word church. And there's a biblical interpretation law that means the law of first mention. What that means is if you really want to know what something means, look for the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. That mentioning defines the usage of that word. It sets the precedent for the use of that word. So if this is the first time Jesus used the word church, which is the Greek word ecclesia, it is vitally important because it is what God intended for the church to mean. What is crazy about this is Jesus didn't use a Hebrew word, he didn't use an Aramaic word, and he didn't use a Latin word. Even though he's speaking to mostly Jews, he should have used a Hebrew word. Even though he's speaking to Hebrews and some Gentiles, he could have used Aramaic. He chose to use a Greek word which is very, very interesting. And this Greek word is a word that means people that are called out of their community that would gather to brainstorm ideas and to solve problems for the city as a whole. It wasn't quite like the, the Senate in Rome. It was people that were called out from the local community that would gather together, that had gifts and expertise. Some may have an expertise in, in, in gardening or, or ecology. Some may have financial giftings. Some may have construction giftings. Some may have education giftings. It was all these people, they'd gather them together and they'd brainstorm ideas of how can we make our city a better place? How can we improve life in our city? And it would say sometimes these ecclesias would actually be up to 6,000 people gathered together. And they were gathered for one purpose. How could we come together to make an impact in our community? And so when Jesus used the word ecclesia, that is what automatically came to mind to every single person around him. This gathering of people that were called out of the world, called into this community together for the purpose of improving the community around them. 
Jesus, since the beginning, has not called the church to be a place you come to. He's called it to be a place that you come to so you can do something greater together. That is the purpose of the church. That is who he's called the church to be. And the question would be, is the church doing a good job or not? Is the church coming together to improve the quality of life in the community as a whole? Is the church coming together to move forward in a way that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? Because I believe in the story with Elisha, you see it. You see, you see the waters that are bad, you see the, the salt, then you see the bowl. And in that, you see these waters, that, that represents the city that we're in. See, we're called to make an impact in our city. The city, and what's interesting about this scripture is that the city, he says, the city's a pleasant place to be, but the waters are bad. It's unfruitful, it's lifeless, it's bitter. It's kind of a contradiction of terms. I mean, it's a great place to live, just don't drink the water. It's a great place to be, just don't try to have life there. It's a great place to live, just don't try to grow anything. It's a great place to live, we just can't raise a family here because there was miscarriages from the water. So it's a really interesting dynamic and it's symbiotic of what it means for this water. See, the water is a symbol of the spiritual condition of this city. It looks good on the surface, but it's bad underneath. It looks great on the image, on the tourist brochures, but once you start digging down, it's lifeless. And see, all of us, every city, every community, every person, you have some undertones to your life that are the spiritual influences of who you are. You have your mask, your facade, you have your image, you have what you look like, you have your, your titles, but underneath there's a spiritual influence that's flowing in and through you. And sometimes that influence can be lifeless. Sometimes it can be unhealthy. Sometimes it can be unproductive. And that's what he's saying by the scripture is many people look good on the surface, but deep underneath it's lifeless. He said the city looks great on the surface, but underneath it's lifeless. Here's my question. When you look at the surface of Florence, Alabama and the shoals in general, it looks really great. It's a pleasant place to be. It's got a great downtown. It's got great outdoors, great parks, great opportunities for kids. It's got amazing things going on. But what do you believe is the spiritual undertones underneath the city? Do you think it possibly could be a place that's pleasant, but the waters are tainted? Maybe the spiritual influences are lifeless or maybe even bitter. Maybe to you it's a pleasant place, but maybe to somebody else the water underneath is not. And maybe the fact that the, the poverty rate in Florence, Alabama is 24.4%, which is double the national average. Which means for you it may be pleasant, but for somebody else it means hopelessness. For somebody else it may mean they don't, have to get, a, they don't get a meal tonight because they're having to keep the lights or the heat on because it's too cold. See, there's some undertones that flow underneath. This spring, this well, this water is the life that gives life to everything else. If the well is bad, everything else is bad. Maybe it could be racism that flows underneath the culture of our town. We still have a west side that's predominantly African-American, and then we have the white sides of town. You have east, you have all these areas that were set up by the government to segregate black people and white people from each other. That's what's so important about Diversity Sunday. Sunday is still the most segregated day of the week in America. Meaning on Monday, you're gonna be at work with other people that are not like you. 
You may go to school with people that are not like you. You may go to your hobbies or the gym with people who are not like you. But on Sunday, we still segregate into our little groups and we proclaim how great God is and how unifying he is for us as a people. Maybe these racial undertones are affecting us more than we realize. Maybe we're seeing them in politics. Maybe we're seeing them in how we raise our kids. Maybe we're seeing them in your fine with your daughter being friends with a black guy. You just don't want her to date a black guy because that's different. See, there are racial undertones. Then you have religion. We have enough churches that on every single street, there's multiple churches. The problem with that is where religion thrives, so does poverty. Where religion thrives, so does selfishness. Where religion thrives, so does self-centeredness. Where religion thrives, so does racism. Will says it in his scripture, they use religion as a way to keep people in their slavery. So what are the undertones of our city? I, I would say that's a pleasant city, but just like Elisha, maybe the water is lifeless. Maybe the spiritual undertones are not quite. See, the only way you can really figure out what lies beneath the surface is to dig deeper. And as you dig deeper, you begin to see spiritually what is the cause of what we're going through. Instead of blaming people, see, politicians blame people. That's how they make their money. They blame other people for the problems. But we as believers, we are not about problems. We're about solving problems. And you solve problems by getting to the root of the problem. Elisha comes to the city. Instead of trying to change the city, he just changes the spiritual influence of the city. See, you are called to have a prophetic vision and voice for your city. God has placed you here for the purpose of healing the waters of the city that you're raised in and that you live in. And so Elisha says, we're going to heal this water, but I need you to bring me some salt. And salt is you and me. Salt are the believers, meaning we're called out of the world. Salt is different than the world. Salt tastes different. Salt looks different. Salt operates different. Salt is different. You are called out. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and I played baseball, and if I did something I shouldn't do, like I'd get mad and I'd strike out and I'd get mad, I'd throw my hat, I'd always hear from either the dugout if my dad was coaching or the sidelines if my dad was on the sidelines. I'd hear the name Robert Joseph. I didn't know that was my name, but I knew it meant I was in trouble. It meant you better stop doing that and be who I've taught you to be. He was calling me out. Some of you remember being in the back of the car and you'd mouth off to your mom or your dad and you'd go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, you think you're grown now. I brought you into this world. I will. You're all dysfunctional. Why, why do parents do that? Because they're trying to call you out of something you have no business in. They're saying, that's not who you are. You have no business. Being, I remember I ran around with a bunch of knuckleheads when I was in high school. My dad would always try to call me out. If I was at school, he'd pick me up from basketball practice, be hanging out with them. My dad would call me out in front of them. He'd be like, pull your pants up, boy. Because I was trying to bust a little baby sag without getting in trouble. He's saying, you don't belong with them. See, parents know you have to call your kids out of who they are trying to be if it's not who they're supposed to be. See, if you have no business in something, you're going to get called out. God calls us out of the world. He's saying, you have no business in the world. You have no business looking like them. You have no business acting like them. I've called you not to be a, uh, in Florence, Alabama, not to be an Alabama citizen. I've not called you to be a citizen of America. I've called you to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you're acting in stuff that's not your purpose. So God calls us out of the world for a greater purpose. 
That's the church. Meaning you are called out. And if you start acting like the world, he'll call you out again. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit stops calling you out, you should be scared. You should want him to call you out. See, we can choose to either be impacted by the world or we can choose to make an impact in the world, but you can't do both. So you can't allow the world to impact you and you make an impact in it at the same time. You have to choose, am I gonna let the world impact me or am I gonna make an impact in the world? Jesus uses the terminology salt. In Matthew 5, he says it this way. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You, touch your neighbor and say, you are the salt. So quit being so salty. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He's saying salt has a purpose. Here's five things that salt does to help you make an impact in the world. One, it's a preservative. Meaning when you're living as a salt of the earth, you preserve the things of God in culture. You preserve hope, you preserve beauty, you can preserve the arts. You, 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 you take care of what's right. You preserve it. Number two, it seasons or gives flavor. That the church has always been on the forefront of the arts. The Renaissance was a church movement. It was adding flavor to the creative world. The church should add to the culture, not take away from it. See, so many times we let the culture impact the church when the church is called to impact the culture. I'll never forget when I realized how bad this was. Remember years ago, the game Guitar Hero came out. Remember Guitar Hero? Oh, none of you. Guitar Hero is a game where you got to play a guitar with a video game, right? So they had all these you know, heavy metal hits and rock hits and all the people were trying to do Sweet Home Alabama and Alabama thinking they were Leonard and, uh, and then they're going through. Well, I went to the family Christian bookstores. I walked in and instead of Guitar Hero, they had the game Praise Hero where they had praise and worship hits that you could play in the same way as a guitar hero. And it reminded me that the church was now behind culture rather than impacting culture. See, the church is supposed to be the creative force in the world. Not, it's not supposed to duplicate what the world does. It's supposed to change what the world does. It should add favor, flavor to it. And then it causes thirst. Like if you eat a bunch of salt, it makes you thirsty. And so if you're living as a salt of the earth, it should make other people thirst for the things of God. When you're living in such a way that Jesus said you are the salt of the earth, other people should thirst for what you have. They should thirst for your salvation. They should thirst for your prayer life. They should thirst for your hunger. They should thirst for your desire and passion for God. It should make other people thirst. For it irritates. If you ever gotten salt in an open wound, it hurts. I mean, it irritates somebody when it gets into an open wound. I mean, when you're living as a salt of the earth and people have open wounds, the gospel should expose those wounds and, and, and show them those wounds are still alive and open because number five, salt is a healing and purifying agent. Salt has the ability to heal things and purify things. So not only does it expose the wound, it actually heals the wound at the same time. This is what Jesus was talking about. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You should be a purifying agent. You should be a pre preserving some things. You should be adding flavor to. You should be doing these things to make an impact. But what happens is, when you lose sight that you've been called to be different, you lose the power of being the salt. Because God saved you to be different so that you can make a difference. 
He saved you so that you would be different so that you'd make a difference. You cannot look like the world and make a difference. It's impossible. God doesn't need somebody else to look like the world. He needs some people to change the world. God didn't save you and call you to look like the culture around you. He called you to change the culture around you. He didn't save you and call you to look like your environment. He called you to change the environment. See, if you want to fit in, then you've missed the calling of being called out. If you want to embrace God's calling, it's going to take being different because God uses different people to make a difference in the world around him. So he's saying, don't lose your saltiness because once you lose your saltiness, you're no longer worth any value to make an impact or difference. Young people, if you wanna make a difference in your life, remember, you will not do it looking like your friends. You'll only do it looking differently. The greatest men of God are some of those awkward human beings you'll ever see. Some of the greatest change agents in our world are people that were awkward. Because God uses awkward because awkward is different and he changes the status quo with something that's different. So how do you lose your saltiness? Salt is, is a stable company. I know Jesus is not a chemist, but I know he created salt, so he knows it's a stable company. You can't break salt down any more than it is. And so what did he mean by you could lose your saltiness? Well, there's two ways to get salt. One is you get salt water, you let it, the water dissolve, and it leaves a salt residue. The other way is they got this salt from the Dead Sea. So these marshes, if you've ever driven to, to Athens or Huntsville and you drive past Joe Wheeler Park, one of those little bridges, the water gets really low sometimes. It creates like a marsh. Sometimes the water's up, sometimes it's down. And when it's down, you can see the roots of the trees. You can see the dirt. You can see the rocks. You can see everything that used to be underwater is there. In the Dead Sea, they'd wait for it to get like that. They'd go scoop up all the dirt and all the stuff that had salt in it, and they would try to clean that up so it wouldn't be a pure salt. And so when they began to dissolve that, the salt was more soluble. It would leave a residue that wasn't quite pure salt. Meaning that salt was so exposed to its environment that it was no longer pure. That salt was so exposed to impure circumstances or surroundings that it no longer had the purity that it has. And what Jesus is saying is when you have impurity, when you're so influenced by the world around you and you start letting the impurities of the world into you, you no longer have the saltiness that I created you to have. So you don't just lose your, wake up and lose your saltiness. You lose your saltiness by overexposing yourself to the world thinking you can change it. You change the world by allowing yourself to be pruned by God and purified by God so now you have something to offer the world to make it change. It's amazing they got this salt from the Dead Sea because the Dead Sea is a place where nothing grows. There's no fish. It's too salty. And Elisha says, get me some salt from the Dead Sea. Right, so give me some salt from the Dead Sea where the salt causes death and bring that to me. I'm gonna put it in a bowl and I'm gonna use this to heal the waters of the city. What's ironic about that is God will use what causes death in one season to bring life to another season. God will take what broke you in the last season and use it to bring healing in the next. God will use what you thought was invaluable in one season and show you has valuable value in the next season. God will take what used to be dead and let it bring life. See, God will use your brokenness to bring healing to somebody else. As long as you allow him to use you and scoop you up from the dirt where you felt like, I can't do this anymore, I can't do this ever again, God will scoop you up, take you to a new season, a new location, and pour you into the waters and use your life to heal other people. As as long as you're yielding. See, God wants to use your brokenness. He's calling you out of your brokenness into his community to make an impact for the world around you. You have something to offer.
Your life has something to offer. You can make a difference, but not on your own. Elisha says, bring me a new bowl. That bowl represents the, it's a vessel, it's the church. It means we're called into community. We're not called to be scattered Christians, we're called to be gathered Christians. He says, bring me a bowl, and they said a new bowl. That new bowl, the reason it meant a new bowl, he didn't want it to be used before, he wanted it to be pure. I mean, the church should be a pure, pure vessel. And to be honest, it, it, you have to fight to keep it pure. There's so many influences, there's so many voices and opinions, there's so many people, you have to fight to maintain the purity for the church. That's why I love our governance structure with our elders, that I've submitted to them and we've run everything through them. We have staff, we have lay pastors, and we're all just fighting for the integrity of the church. We want the church to maintain her saltiness, her purity, her love, her authenticity, and her mission. We want to keep her pure. And Elisha says, bring me a bowl that is pure. And he pours the salt into that bowl, this vessel. And he says, I want to pour that out in there. And I think what's important about that is we live in a day and age where people say, I don't need the church. Well, you may not need the church, but the church needs you. You may not need the church, but our community needs you to be part of the church. You may not need the church, but God believed enough in the church to die for it, so it might be vitally important. And I was listening to a podcast with a preacher, I listened to, he's from the UK, and he, he had this research in it that he got. It says, aggressive pursuit of individual success and personal advantage is one of the leading causes in issues with children and teenagers. Meaning parents are so concerned about excessive individualism. Just be yourself. Just go do this, trying to make them successful, trying to make them achieve their dreams and do all these things. And even the parents trying to pursue their dreams and their ambitions and their jobs and their financial goals and their 401k. Everybody's just chasing after their own things. It's causing issues in teenagers and kids. They actually trace most anxiety and depression and suicide to this excessive individualism. Meaning it's about me and what I want, what I need, and it's killing people from the inside out. We have to learn to practice gaining satisfaction, not from pursuing my goals and my dreams, but by helping and serving somebody else achieve theirs. We have to confront this self-centeredness, this self-focused gospel, this self-entitled culture with the reality that God didn't just save you for you to live your best life now. He called you to heal the waters of your city. He called you to spend your life in serving others. He called you to lay your life down, not to pick your life back up. See, we have to confront culture and God gave us the vessel to do that with. He's called it the church. The church is this place for 2,000 years where people have gathered their gifts together, their resources their lives, their hopes, their dreams, and they come up with a corporate mission to heal the waters of their city. That in our generation, what can we do to make an impact in our world? See, too many, when you're individualistic, you'll take salt, you'll sprinkle your life and your salt at a problem. And we have enough of that in the shows. People ask me, why don't you support this, this program or this program? I don't support any program that's not being poured out of the vessel of God's church. If I'm going to give my money to it, it's going to have an eternal impact. It's not just going to make me feel good to give my money. And we have so many organizations and so many people, they'll take their salt and they'll throw it at a problem. 
They'll take some salt, throw it at homelessness. They'll take some salt, they'll throw it in West Florence. They'll take some salt, they'll, they'll throw it at, at at-risk kids. They'll take some salt, and they're just sprinkling salt. When you sprinkle salt, it doesn't make an impact. Elisha didn't say, give me some salt so I can sprinkle some water in this well. He said, bring me a bowl. Why is it important? When we bring all our salt together in one vessel, and then we can pour that vessel out in a focused area, it saturates that area with salt. It saturates that area with hope. It saturates that area with love. For years in our, our outreach strategy, we supported missionaries all over the world. We throwing salt in, in, in Germany and Spain and France and Russia and Guatemala and Mexico and, and Peru. We're sprinkling salt and it wasn't making an impact. So I asked a couple of missionary guys, I said, what would you do differently? He said, I'd find one or two places. I'd plant my flag in those places and I would focus my resources so I can make a real impact. This is what we decided to do. We have our bowl. We're going to pour our bowl out in the shoals through the Dream Center. We're going to pour our bowl out into Haiti, and we're going to saturate wherever God sends us, not by sprinkling, but saturation so we can make an impact because each of us can make a difference, but together we can make an impact. God has called us to heal the waters of our city. God has called you if you wanted to trace your genealogy or your history back, God has called you to the shoals. It's not by coincidence. It's not by happenstance. You know, it's that old bumper sticker, Southern by the, by the grace of God, Alabama fan by penalty of my parents, or whatever it may be. God has called you here to the shoals, not to just live a comfortable life, not just to, to live your life and raise your family. He's called you here because he believes you can make an impact in this city. That the waters of the city need healing. And he's called this church, I believe he's called all churches, he called us specifically to be a vessel, a bowl. We can pour our lives into this bowl and he can pour this bowl of hope, of love, of life into shoals, into Haiti. And I'm asking you to take the journey with us. That means pouring your life in this bowl means your talent, your time, your treasure, just like the Ecclesia, bringing our stuff together so we can improve the place that we've chosen to live at. Here's a couple of ways. One, make an impact locally. Your next step is to use your gifts, gather your gifts in the vessel to make an impact through our church by becoming a champion. What is a champion? There are all the people that serve to make an impact in kids' ministry. We're seeing kids get baptized because there's people praying over them every single week in Chapel Kids. There's people prophesying over babies in Chapel Kids. In student ministry, media ministry. I had a lady last week tell me, she, she didn't come here very often. She said, I, I shared the, the, the sermon online. I have a friend in New York who's gotten saved and watches every single week. Now it's my goal to get him into a local church where he can get discipled as a believer. It's because their sacrifice is making an impact in New York City. And you can make an impact. God has given you a gift he wants you to use. And Essentials helps you discover that gift. And like I said earlier, you can text the word Essentials to that number and you'll get in. You'll discover who God created you to be and why he created you. To the Dream Center. Dream Center is our vessel we use to pour in to this city. And I believe it is, is an incredible privilege and honor for us to partner with God in that. Last, this past December, we fed over 180, 50 families with groceries, 850 families with groceries. Every one of them was prayed for. 
Every one of them were encouraged to get into circles, which is a, a discipleship process to help them grow out of poverty so they can continue to live their life the way God wanted them to live. We have 34 people going through circles. People say, I want to get out of poverty. We've had people in Dream Center Academy at Toya Runs. There was one little girl, she came, her head was shaved, and she gave them a different name than her legal name. Because what they didn't know is she's starting to identify as the opposite gender. She was a girl wanting to be a boy. She'd been moved from house to house because her parents dealt with addiction. They just spoken death over her life. She was on medication because she was so depressed and anxious and suicidal. She's living with her grandmother. She comes to Dream Center Academy. They start creating an atmosphere and environment of hope and love, tutoring her. At the end of the year, she, for the first time ever, she was on the A-B honor roll. Like that is hope. That is impact. They took, we took Christmas to all the kids in Dream Center Academy, all 13 kids, and they took gifts to her house. And Toy said her, light, her eyes lit up for the very first time, just blossomed with hope. And now she's come back this semester. She's let her hair grow out, started to look like a girl again. And she told the, the interns there she wants to start going back by her legal name. That's impact. And you can be a part of making the impact. We have tons of opportunities for you to share your gifts through prayer, through helping with the facilities, through, through sorting donations, through thrift store, through dreams. We have tons of opportunities. And what I want you to do is text. If you'll put up, if you'll just text the word Dream Center, one word to 256-670-2860. You'll get all the information you need. You'll see the, the form. You see, put where you're interested in serving at. Right there it is. Dream Center, one word, 256-670-2860. You'll get the volunteer form. And you'll see all the opportunities that you and your family or maybe your group, your, your work may want to volunteer, how you can volunteer to make an impact through the Dream Center because it is growing and growing and growing in impact. For you, it may be going to Haiti. I have a Haiti trip coming up in the end of May, 1st of June. I have interest meetings today. I believe one mission trip is worth more than 52 sermons. I can preach to you all day. But when you go on a mission field, you get outside of your comfort zone and you realize God can use your life to make an impact in somebody else's life and even an entire village's life. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see the world. One of the ladies that went on this past trip, it was named Jennifer. I couldn't be more proud of Jennifer. Jennifer has come from a really difficult season in life. And most people would mope in that season, be, be just full of self-pity in that season. And in that season, she decided to give her life away rather than just try to mope in her stuff. And I watched her work harder than anybody I've ever seen work in fundraising. Working and working and working and dedicating herself to the process and watched her go to Haiti and God use her and make a difference in her life, but also used her to make a difference in other people's lives. And now she's trying to go again because she realizes the value. See, when you serve someone else, you, you get the fulfillment. They get the impact. And for some of you, God is calling you to Haiti. He's calling you to leave your comforts here to go make an impact somewhere else. And last and not least, a couple Sundays ago, I talked about Ezekiel 47. We're called to be the river that flows out of the sanctuary into the community that makes an impact in the community. And as I was reading that, at some point, it never stood out to me before, but it was a rhema word for me as I read it in this service, where it said, and the river produced life on both sides of the river. And I joked and I said, Lauderdale and Copper County. We've been praying for two years, me and the elders and the staff, what would it look like? We have tons of people that come from Muscle Shoals and Sheffield to Scumbia from that side of the river over here, which is great. I love that. But the problem is you live in a community that needs to be impacted. Like every time I see a young person murdered, it's in Tuscumbia. 
There's lack of hope. There's lack of, of strong, spirit-filled churches that are designed to make an impact in the community. And so we've decided we don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to go on the other side of the river to help pour some salt into those communities. And we don't know what the model is, but we know two times this year we're going to do worship services on that side of the river that are going to be evangelism-focused meetings where you can gather lost friends, lost family. They can worship like we worship on Sunday morning. We can pour the gospel out. We can try to get them connected to groups. And if God turns that into a campus, he turns it into a campus. But we just know God has told us to go somewhere, and we want to go. We want to be, be obedient to what God wants to do. And so if you live on that side of the river, if you live on the other side of the river, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to pray about helping us get that started. And so if you would, just text the word Colbert, C-O-L-B-E-R-T. So if you're in Colbert County, you should know how to spell that. Text that to that same number, 256-670-2860. We're going to have a couple meetings. I know Good Friday evening, we're going to have the first one, a big worship service on Good Friday. And so we need people to be teammates with us and partners with us. And so if you want to be involved in that at all, just text that word Colbert to that number and we'll make that happen. But we're praying that 2020 is a year of impact for us as a church, that there is so much hopelessness. I've met with Mayor Holt, Toys met with him. What are the three to five things we can do that y'all can do? Poverty is one. What if that 24.4% poverty rate from the Dream Center, from us working in West Florence and through our prayers, what if that trickled down to like 12%? What would that do for the glory of God? What would that do for hope in our area? What would that do for dreams and young people in our area? What if crime started to decrease? What if church became more about making an impact than it was just about Sunday morning attendance? What if this was the gathering place, like the, the, the pregame party, but the game happened outside the walls of this church? What if we're called to heal the waters of our city, but God has called you to be the salt, and he's called this church to be the vessel so he can pour us out to make an impact all over the world, starting right here. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we thank you that you are a God of impact, and we thank you for the ecclesia, these people that are called out of the world into a community for the purpose of fulfilling your mission. And so, Father, I pray every heart, I pray right now for every religious spirit to be broken. Every person that's been trained that church is about them and about what they want and what they need. I pray you break that right now. Father, I pray you break it in the garage of those that think the church is sitting on a pew on Sunday morning. It's a building. I pray you break that right now. And Father, I pray that you replace that thought and that spirit with your spirit and with the fact that we are called out of the world into a community of believers for your mission. Father, I pray that you renew our minds, renew our hearts, renew our spirits. Father, we pray for the Dream Center right now. We pray for increased funding. We pray for increased in giving. Father, we pray for increased in impact. Father, we pray for West Florence, that Father, as we pour our lives into West Florence. Father, we pray for the poverty rate to decrease. Father, we pray for crime to decrease. We pray for hope to increase. Father, we pray for Haiti right now, Doko Chapel, Haiti. We pray right now for Pastor Remy. We pray for Solomon. We pray for the school, that all those kids are not just receiving an education, they're receiving an impartation of your spirit an impartation of hope, an impartation of joy, an impartation of dreams and visions. Father, we pray that the future leaders and change agents in that community. Father, we pray you use our church for your mission. Father, help us pour ourselves out to heal the waters of this city and wherever you take us. If there's anyone in this room 
this morning. We've celebrated Jesus through baptisms. We celebrate he's our defender. But if you're in this room this morning, say, you know, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Maybe you said a prayer at some point in your life, but you've never given your life to Jesus. You never died to yourself and was resurrected in him. You never made him Lord of your life. You see, you know what? I feel like today God is telling me I need to give him my life. That's you. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed just for one private moment. That's you. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you stand up. Just me and you. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up right where you are so I can see you. Anybody else? See one. Thank you. Anybody else? So wait just a moment. Thank you. See your hand. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. We say this every single week. Salvation is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of learning to walk with Jesus and become more like him. And so we want to help you do that. And so if you would, if you raise your hand after I'm done praying, when we dismiss from service, if you stop by the info center, just tell them, hey, I raised my hand and I pray with pastor. They want to give you a gift to help you and we want to follow up with you so we can encourage you, we can love on you, we can pray for you and help you with whatever you may need in your journey with Jesus. Um, but if you would just, as I'm praying, if you just pray to Jesus, Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. And we thank you for your blood that just covers us. Father, as we repent and we change our ways, you cover us with your blood. And we thank you that, Father, that makes us new again. We don't have to fix up our lives. We don't have to change anything, Father. We just begin following you and you change us as we follow you. Father, for all those that raise their hand, I pray right now, Father, this is their confession, that they know you are Lord and Savior of their lives. So, Father, I pray that you transform them from the inside out. I pray that you renew their minds through your word. And I pray that you fill them with your spirit and you use their lives for your glory. And Father, we bless you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand to your feet all over the room. If I can have the altar team come forward. And as we dismiss, if you need prayer for anything, we are here to pray for you. We'll have the altar team down forward to agree with you in prayer for you and your family, whatever it may be. But one of those four things, we want you to make an impact either through becoming a champion and serving in this church, either through the Dream Center, tons of opportunities for you or your small group to sign up and, and find more information about how you can serve, three through Chapel Haiti or four, our Cobbert County experiment that we're going to try to do this year. We are called to get outside the walls of this church and make an impact because each of us can make a difference, but together we can make an impact. I love you. Hope you have a great rest of the Sunday. We'll see you tonight at 5. Oh, by the way, I almost forgot that was the whole point. We are going to receive our Dream Center offering at the doors as you leave. So if you do text by giving, you can text your amount with a, just DC, two letters right next to it together. That designates all that. All this money, none of it comes to the church. All of it goes directly to the Dream Center, to ministries that we do there. And it's one of the ways we help fund that thing uh, as it keeps going. And so it makes a huge, huge difference. We've said this, but every dollar provides 10 pounds of food at the Dream Center. So if you give $2, you provide 20 pounds of food. It basically takes 10 pounds to feed a family for two weeks. And so, or $10 to, to feed a family for two weeks. So thank you for what you're doing. You can give at the door. We love you. We'll see you at 5.30 this evening.